Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. Welcome back to another episode of Ghost of a Podcast. This week, I've got a roundup of a bunch of really great questions, and I'm just going to give you a bunch of really great answers. So I'm going to start off with a question today. Someone wrote in to say, I just looked at the compatibility part of an astrology app with someone I've recently started dating. It was mostly positive, but said mood and emotions were incompatible or challenging. I can't stop focusing on this. His moon is in Sagittarius, same as my last partner, a relationship which ended badly. How can I bring myself to do what feels right about our connecting and to stop using this as a focal point of my fears and getting hurt? What a great question. I have so many answers. This, The first thing I'm going to say is this. What are you doing looking at compatibility with someone you just started dating? My friends, don't do it. When you are looking at astrology apps that give you interpretations, what you're doing is you're looking at an app that someone created and hired a bunch of writers, or maybe they use AI, depending on what kind of app you're using, to give you interpretations. Now, these interpretations are based on lots of details. There's no way that an app is going to synthesize compatibility. And when we're looking at compatibility, it is all about the synthesis. And so I am not a huge fan of astrology apps that do interpretations or astrology reports myself. I say, if you really want an astrologer, hire an astrologer. But when you seek to find out the compatibility with someone and you don't even know their middle name yet, what are you doing? Guys, what are you doing? This is a really important lesson to learn. When you're getting to know someone, you are not safer when you know what's going to happen next. And Spoiler alert, you can't know what's going to happen next. So when you started looking for answers, you were only looking for positive answers, right? And then when you got a negative answer, you felt terrible. So lesson one, do not look at the compatibility between you and someone else when you are starting to date them because it shall backfire on you. Even if you only get positive answers, it's not actually that useful. Now, the other part of my answer is this. Having somebody's moon sign or moon placement be challenging doesn't mean that it's bad. If you have a relationship chart with somebody where there is a challenge, that either means it's a healthy challenge that will help you be more in love, more vulnerable, more whole, or it's an unhealthy challenge that will keep you from those things, that will inhibit you from those things. And there's only one way to find out. It's show up with your best damn self. If you're looking to meet some stranger danger on the internet and have a romantic whirlwind and then get married in the next 15 minutes, then you're living in a fantasy, right? And I'm not trying to shit on fantasies. We all have our fantasies. But the truth of the matter is when you meet stranger danger, no astrology app is going to save you from the fact that they're a stranger. Get to know them. Be authentic and honest about who you are and be mindful about who this person reveals himself to be to you. And over the course of time, you can decide if you trust him. You can decide if the sex is good. You can decide if your heart skips a beat when you're around him. But you can't figure those things out through astrology and certainly not through an astrology app in advance. So don't even try. Okay. My next question is a little bit more in the weeds astrologically. The questioner says, I'm curious about relocated charts versus natal charts. I'm currently living in Montreal, Quebec since July of 2003, but was born in Calgary, Alberta. Should I be studying both charts? How can I get my relocated chart? So 
first of all, a relocated chart is basically casting your chart for the city that you actually live in. I definitely don't think, unless you're an astrologer, that there's a reason to be studying your relocated chart. If you're an astrology fan or an astrology student, just focus on your birth chart because that is the central thing that is going to empower you to have a healthy and whole life. Point final on that one. But the thing about a relocated chart is that it can be really useful if you're trying to choose where to move to. You can relocate your chart for the difference between living in, let's say, you know, Montreal versus Vancouver versus New York or whatever, right? You can see the differences and the similarities and you can make choices if that's the kind of choice you're trying to make. And how you get a relocated chart is you hire an astrologer. Another listener asked a really exciting question to me, which is, what is your take on shadow work versus light work? Shadow work seems to be the more elusive of the two. This is less of a personal question, though I do wonder if my 12th house stellium inclines me towards the importance of shadow work. Yeah, for sure. If you've got a stellium, a concentration of planets in the 12th house, you are going to be inclined towards shadow work. But here's the thing. Your question asks me shadow work versus light work. And I don't think that this is an either or a versus. Every kind of light casts shadow. And how do you have a shadow without light? Isn't the very nature of shadow an interaction with light or a response to light? I personally am interested in my work with shining light on dark places and staying present with and investigating, you know, darker places. None of this is, is about either or. It's about the interaction between the two. It's understanding that the brighter your light, the deeper your shadow. The more you're willing to be in the shadow, the greater wholeness you can achieve. It's not an either or. It's what are you called to do at this time? What is more graceful and organic to your nature? And what takes more effort? What is a little more challenging to you? Because it's not as organic to you doesn't mean that it's the wrong thing to do or it's bad. In terms of doing shadow work, I think that in some circles, that's kind of frowned upon. In some circles, it isn't. I don't know. It really depends on the circles you choose to affiliate yourself with. So my my friends, I say unto you, do it all. Do it both. And if over the next five years, you just are feeling really resonant with shadow work, focus there. But if your whole life is spent in the shadows or your whole life is spent in the light, either extreme is going to come at a cost. And so what we want to ideally seek is some form of balance that is self-appropriate given your nature and your circumstances. I have another really great question. I'm trying to conceive and it's going less great than my husband and I would have hoped it would. I was really hoping for an October baby, but since that has passed, I'm just hoping to get pregnant at all. I loved having an October birthday growing up and that's why I want an October baby. My question for you is, are there mother-child astrology combos that should be avoided or combos that make things more difficult? So this is a very layered question. When mom or dad or whatever your gender identity and, and your title is. When you try to control who your child is going to be, or you project what works for you onto what you perceive to be the needs of your unconceived child or your unborn child, that's what's going to end up in your child's birth chart. <laughs> that right there. So just because having an October birthday was fantastic for you doesn't mean it would be fantastic for someone else. The other part of your question is, are there good mother-child astrology combos? So this is a really complicated question. I know you think that it's a simple question. And the reason why you think it's a simple question is because you're only focused on sun signs. 
This is the thing. We are so much more than our sun signs. So if you are just looking at sun sign astrology, then the answer would be yes. But if you're only looking at sun sign astrology, you cannot rely on the answer. The reality is you are going to have the child that you are meant to have. And that child will be a unique individual and they will have their own preferences and needs. And if you try to control that before they're even here, then that will be one of the things that they're here to work out in this lifetime with you or uh, against you, however it works, however it works, right? So my advice to you is to not try to control who they are or how your relationship goes, but instead to try to be interested. When is this little soul trying to come through? Who's, who's this baby going to be? That's an interesting, fascinating question. Not how can I make sure that the relationship goes well before they're even here? Not how can I make sure that they are a sign that I think I like? People think that they like a particular sign or that they hate a particular sign. And they come into my office and they tell me that all the time. And usually when they're like, oh, I I hate Libra, it's because they have four planets in Libra in their chart. Usually when they're like, oh, I really love this particular sign, it's not necessarily the thing that is that is true for all relationships. Different kinds of relationships will thrive or falter under different kinds of conditions. So get out of your own way here, my dear. Stop trying to control how things go. Instead, really honor the process. The process is you and your partner. Sounds like you're in love. Sounds like you really want to invite a child into this world. Great. An invitation, let it be open. Let that invitation be open. Let that invitation be kind of in concert with whatever is meant to be. And don't worry so much about good combinations and bad combinations. It's just, it's not a good way to live. And it's not a great use of astrology. My next question says this, I'm a queer, non-binary woman, pronouns they, them, and I'm married to a cis woman. We have two kids. In both of my children's astrology, it says that the father figure in their lives will have great influence on them for better or worse. How can I read this understanding that they don't have a father? This is such an important question. Astrology doesn't say anything. Astrologers interpret astrology, right? And it's really important that that I acknowledge this. It is conventional within astrology to say father and mother, because it has been conventional in astrology to see things in a gender binary. If you think about the role of parenting being broken down into two primary people being the parents, the role of mother and the role of father, they're such nice kind of like binary roles. It's like the nurturer and then the provider, the rule bringer and the love bringer. These roles are so convenient. And in a lot of families, it works out like that. In most families, it doesn't. Most of the time, when I look at birth charts, I can have a sense of, okay, so you had one parent who was more like this and the other parent who was more like that. But I cannot have the sense of the gender of that parent unless I am projecting based on my assumptions about gender roles. The truth of the matter is one of you is holding space for what astrologers are often referring to as mom. And the other one is holding space for what the astrologers are often referring to as dad. If you're looking at a lot of conventional astrology texts, I would encourage you to think of mom and dad as jobs instead or like hats you wear instead of gender markers. This is a very important distinction. In terms of a father having great influence on them for better or worse, sure. I mean, that seems like a pretty safe assumption about all the parents. What I think you are really getting at here is that you want to make sure that you're providing well for your children and that your children are getting what they need. And so what you want to look at is not so much the title of mother and father, But instead, what is it that is the job description as according to these texts, right? And like I said to the other question, 
you want to be careful when you're using astrology as an astrology fan or early stages astrology student. Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to find a million details, you're going to feel really overwhelmed, and you're going to fixate on the things that bring you the most pain because that's what humans do. So my friend, be gentle with this. If you're deeply concerned, again, I would say consult with an astrologer who has what I would consider to be, you know, inclusive and and kind of wise views on uh, gender and on sexuality and on children. Finally, I have a question about cusps. The listener says, I was born on February 18th of 81. My entire life from the insistence of my mom, I've always identified with being an Aquarius. As I've delved more into astrology, I've learned that technically I'm a Pisces. I want to know how I start to identify as a Pisces when I totally feel more in tune with Aquarius. It may be all my social conditioning, but in most horoscopes, Aquarius ends on the 18th. I want to know if you have tips for those cuspers. All right, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's so many parts of this question that are important. In astrology, there's 30 degrees to each sign, right? So it's zero degrees to 2959, 29 degrees, 59 minutes. That's how it works. So the reason why cusps are not a real thing, I'm sorry, guys. The reason why cusps are not a real thing is because you're either zero degrees of a sign or you're not. So in this case, you are zero degrees and 21 minutes of Pisces. You are for sure a Pisces. (laughs) Sorry if that feels bad, but you're not just a Pisces. You're a full moon baby. You're a full moon baby of a sun moon opposition. Your sun is in Pisces, but the focal planet to your T square between your sun moon opposition is Uranus, the the ruling planet of Aquarius. You also have Mercury and Venus in Aquarius, and you have Mercury in Aquarius sitting on top of your sun in Pisces. This is going to give you all these things a very Aquarian feel. It is that you are deeply Uranian and not that you're deeply Aquarian. And there is a meaningful difference. Now, that meaningful difference, if you're really just an astrology uh, horoscope reader, keep on reading your Pisces horoscope. Just keep on reading your Pisces horoscope. If you want to do deep healing work, then start investigating Aquarius's ruling planet, Uranus, because Uranus unlocks the door to understanding the answer to your questions. Okay. That's really where you're going to find the answer. And this is where astrology is a lot more complicated than sun sign horoscopes. If you are really passionate about using astrology as a tool for self-understanding, get ye a book, get off the internet and get ye a book. It's another week in paradise, my friends. This episode, we're looking at the week of April 7th through the 13th, 2019. March was a lot. What with all the Mercury retrograde madness, there's just been a lot happening on a mental health level as well as structurally in our lives, in most of our lives. And I want to acknowledge that the strain of constant engagement, it has a destructive and corrosive impact in our lives. And so before we get into the horoscope today, I want to just take a moment to say this. You do not need to stay connected to everyone at all times. You do not need to stay connected to the world at all times. It's really important that you take responsibility for something that humans have never had to manage before. We all have FOMO, you know, some people a lot more than others, at some times a lot more than others, but we all have FOMO, this fear that we're missing out on something, that we should be doing something or that we should be knowing about something that we maybe don't know about. 
And our little stupid phones that I am personally attached to very, very much. You're maybe even listening to me from one of your little phones. Our stupid phones, they keep us so connected to everything that it inclines us to not take the time to process what we're going through. It makes us feel like we're behind. We're behind schedule. We're behind the program in some way. It's really exhausting, honestly. It's really exhausting. And so I'm going to give you, you know, the astrological weather report. Hopefully you're going to make use of this information. But if you just pile it on top of a data pile, then it's just going to actually end up making you feel stressed out. The key is to use your self-management, self-help, self-love tools. It's to use your tools with intention. If all you do is collect tools, but you don't actually use them, then you're going to feel chaotic and bad, right? And that's not the point. That's not the point of this podcast. It's not the point of astrology in general. You want to be able to know, okay, you know, as an example, Mercury retrograde is happening. It's okay that I feel exhausted. It's okay that I am confused. You want to be able to work with that. So you want to pair that data with self-care behaviors that are healthy, sustainable, and appropriate. They might not be all three at once, but you want to aim for at least one out of three, if not three out of three. As you can imagine, I'm giving you this little preamble because there's, there's some shit coming down this week. So I want to I wanna prepare you to use this information instead of freak yourself out with this information. Everything happens for a reason. Now, I don't fully believe that. And also, I fully believe that. I'm really comfortable with that kind of dichotomy myself. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason, but in this context, I do. And so what that reason is, I shall tell you, my friends, I shall tell you. It's not to punish you. It's not to ruin your life. It's not to make you feel bad. You are meant to grow. And if you are starting from the bottom of a pit, you've just got lots of place to grow into. You've just got lots of place to grow into. And if you are doing amazing, you still got lots, lots you can do to grow. You can grow internally. You can grow your life externally. Ideally in life, we do both. And inevitably in life, we are called at different times to do one more than the other. So on the 7th, we have a Mercury sextile to Saturn, which I am thrilled to see because this particular transit is stabilizing. And we need that after all that wonky Mercury energy we've been dealing with. This is a great time to honestly go through your inbox, to deal with all the things that got confusing or overwhelming or backed up in your administrative life. This is a great time to make sense of things, make plans for things, organize. It's not super sexy. But it is really useful. So right around the 7th is a great time to do that. On the 9th, unfortunately, we have a Venus conjunction in Neptune. And I say, unfortunately, it's not an all bad transit by a long shot. But I say, unfortunately, because I just gave you a nice little spiel about stabilizing and making sense of things. And Neptune's like, not so fast. Basically, what Venus conjunction to Neptune does is it intensifies romance. It intensifies our feelings of potential. The problem with this is that a lot of times when we are romanticizing potential, we do it at the expense of evidence. We do it at the expense of common sense. And so if you catch yourself doing that, then I want to encourage you to rein yourself in. A common thing that that looks like is assuming that, you know, somebody who's totally unavailable is an amazing person just because you can't ever really find out. Deciding that you know something because you have an instinct or a feeling is poorly starred around this date. 
the negative side or the kind of worse side of this transit is it can incline you to feel pretty damn anxious. It can make you feel really anxious about money, about your possessions, about the way you look, about the way that you think others feel about the way you look. It can also make you feel just really just really idealistic in a way that interrupts your ability to really be present here and now. And so if you have a spiritual practice, it's a great time for you to actually embody the principles of your spiritual practice. So you want to be really realistic about what it is that you're actually feeling. And if you have this spiritual ideal and it doesn't line up with the reality of where you're at and what you're feeling and experiencing at this time, be with that. Bring all your presence and all your compassion, bring all your best parts to that. Now on the 10th, we're going to have a Sun square to Saturn, a Mercury square to Pluto, and Jupiter will be moving retrograde again. So in this particular episode, I'm not going to focus on the Jupiter retrograde you're not going to feel it in a major way in your personal life this week anyway, so don't don't worry about it. But the Sun square to Saturn and the Mercury sextile to Pluto, this we're going to unpack a bit because these are pretty meaningful transits. I should acknowledge that these two transits will overlap with the Venus conjunction to Neptune. So you will feel these on the 9th when that Venus conjunction to Neptune is exact and you will still be feeling the effects of the Venus conjunction to Neptune when these two transits are exact, okay? So this this really deeply colors things, and what it does, Sun square to Saturn is a really hyper-vigilant transit. It makes us question ourselves in really core and essential ways. It can bring up depressive feelings and thoughts, and the reason why is because it's kind of got an existential vibe to it. It's like, what is the point? Or these are all the things I've done wrong and I'm locked into doing them this way. Sun square to Saturn can really be an excellent time for looking at what you're doing and making sure that it is in concert with what you intend to be doing. If you haven't already, you should go to my weekly horoscope on my website for the week of April 3rd through the 9th and check out the new moon ritual that I recommended. And I gave a bunch of journaling prompts for it. It it doesn't have to be done on the new moon, but this is a really great time to leverage that kind of thing where you're really listing out what your intention is. You're clarifying what your intention is. And it is always great when you figure out that you have been seeing things wrong or doing things wrong. It doesn't feel great, but it is great because there you have instruction. There you have clarity around, okay, so if it's not that I'm supposed to be going left, does that mean I go straight? Does that mean I stay still? Does that mean I go right? Does that mean I turn back, right? So it points you to the right questions even if it doesn't point you to the answer. That's the awesome part about the Sun square Saturn. Now, because of course, Neptune's involvement, you're more likely to be, I don't know, a little anxious about it, more idealistic about it. Luckily, Mercury sextile to Pluto is a powerful transit for figuring things out. Mercury sextile to Pluto represents a time where we can really make sense of things. So this is where the important magic comes through, which is your free will, my friends. A little bit of nature, a little bit of predestiny, and a little bit of free will equals life. So what can happen under this influence is if you have a tendency to seek hard and fast answers, you can find it around now. Now, I'm not saying that they'll be right, but I'm saying you'll find them right now. 
If you are looking for a reason to blame yourself or punish yourself or blame someone else and punish someone else, hey man, you're going to find it. That won't be hard for you to do. Mercury sextile to Pluto, you will you will find what you seek. Here's a beautiful thing. If you can connect to the questions without needing the answers, but instead to be truly curious about the questions, this will be a fabulous and fertile time for you. Doesn't mean you'll enjoy the way it feels the whole way through, but it will be authentically useful, authentically useful. The key here is to really look at your nature. When things don't go your way, when you don't figure things out quickly, when you feel sad or bad, do you then make a mental assumption that you failed or you're screwed? If so, these transits, the combination of transits might be a little bit harder for you. If instead what you do is you try to take care of yourself, you try to nourish and nurture and support yourself, then these transits in conjunction will be much easier for you because that's really what these transits want you to do. On the 11th, Mercury will form a square to Jupiter. So again, we have crossover (laughs) between all of these transits. When Mercury forms a square to Jupiter, we tend to jump to conclusions. The potential here is that we can make connections. We can understand the details and how they fit into the big picture slash we can understand the big picture and orient the details, the kind of like micro and the macro. It's great. It's really exciting. That is if you can avoid any temptation to jump to conclusions and make connections that may not actually exist. So again, what we're really talking about is not allowing fear or idealism to motivate your thinking. It sounds so simple the way I say it. Don't let fear and idealism motivate your thinking. It's actually quite difficult because of how insidious those things are, right? Fear says it's keeping us safe. Idealism says, oh, I'm just being positive. So you want to stay really centered if you can. If you are willing to really investigate without looking for proof, without, you know, coming in with like, I am investigating because I want to find this answer. This will be a time of great growth for you. Now, on the 12th, we have a Venus sextile to Saturn. This is another kind of lovely transit. It's also quite stabilizing. And much like I was saying about the Mercury sextile to Saturn at the start of the week, Venus sextile to Saturn is a great time for kind of stabilizing your relationship to others, looking at your values and understanding whether or not you're, again, functionally living in a way that supports and reflects them. This is a great time for editing your closet. It's a great time for shopping. Um, It won't necessarily get you the most like sexy and surprising outfits, but it actually will help you to not waste money and to think about how things fit and work for you. So Venus sextile to Saturn is is lovely and kind of in a week like this, I'm not sure you're going to feel it too intensely, but if you take pains to leverage it, this is a great, great day. And that leads us to the end of the week. On the 13th, we have an exact sun square to Pluto. Now, this transit is difficult. I'm not going to lie to you, my friends. When the sun forms a square to Pluto, we tend to get obsessive. We tend to get compulsive. Pluto is powerful and it wants transformation. The problem is when we are under the influence of Pluto, we tend to focus on the most powerful feeling we have and not the most wise or even the most true one. This is a very important date to be self-protective, not in a way that's putting your head in the sand, but in a way where if somebody clearly reveals to you that they're not open to a dialogue, don't dialogue with them. If somebody reveals to you that they are not trustworthy, 
Don't trust them. If you know that you are in a state where you're taking everything personally and you're really agitated and you're in a bad mood, don't go trying to process with someone. Don't go trying to fix your life when you feel terrible and compulsive. That's when you need to take care of yourself, support yourself. And once you are more stable and you're in a better state, that's when you can start trying to understand things or fix or heal things. You don't want to fix or heal things from a self-destructive state, because if you're in a self-destructive emotional or mental state, then ultimately what you do with others is just coming from that place. So this is a really important transit to pay attention to. As I always say, when we go through Pluto transits like this, don't cyberstalk people. It's not your business. Just focus on your own damn homework, my friends. Focus on your own damn homework. Now, I want to say before I wrap this up that this week we have kind of difficult transits to Neptune, to Saturn, and to Pluto. So three of the major outer planets. And what this means is that we can really look to the world. We can look to whether it's news or what's happening in the larger community around you, and we will probably see meaningful shifts and changes. I'm not sure that we'll be able to understand exactly what they mean, but we can expect to see some really meaningful shifts and changes. Now, on a personal level, how you respond to that, how you respond to the world around you, how you respond to what's happening in the world within you, this is really yours. This is yours. And so I want to encourage you to be really intentional this week about the state from which you are responding or reacting. So when I say the state from which you are responding or reacting, I'm referring to the emotional and mental state from which you are responding and reacting. And ideally, we want to get to a place where we are responding with intention instead of reacting out of triggers. That's the ideal. When we do that, we have more internal peace and we get better results. This week, you may or may not actually get to experience that and that's okay. But the more intention you place around this, the better. So if you keep a journal, if you keep a day planner or whatever, Google Calendar, go ahead and mark these bigger transits, the one on the 9th, the one on the 10th, the one on the 13th, so that you can remember that things are more likely to have you know the volume turned up on something meaningful, either within you or in others as you're interacting with them. And see if you can be mindful and intentional about how you respond. Give others the grace that you want them to give you. Give yourself the grace that you want to give others. It's really important that we hold space for our own learning curve and the learning curve of others. And we do that in balance with not eating shit, right? So there's not a single answer for all situations and all people. But that's the general direction I want to point you in, my friends. I'm pointing you there. So go. I say get there. Go. Okay, cool. One more thing. I'm going to Montreal to do an astrology event. It's called The Night with Jessica Lignetto, Astrology to Heal the Self and Society. I'm really excited about it. If you are not in the Montreal area or if you can't make it out to the Montreal area to join me on April 27th from 7 till 10 p.m., you can join online. There's a limited amount of seats there, but you can join online. Just go to my website, lovelignetto.com slash events to get the 411 and to sign up. I hope to see you there. Thank you again for tuning in to this podcast of mine, Ghost of a Podcast. If you enjoy what you hear, if you get value from it and you want to become a supporter on Patreon, I really appreciate it. I love reading your questions. So please do send me questions for the podcast. And when you send me questions for the podcast, don't forget to give me your time of birth and your city and state of birth. You can go and send me a question on my website at lovelaniato.com on the podcast page. That's pretty simple. 
And then finally, if you like what you're hearing, star of the podcast and subscribe to it wherever it is that you're listening to it. If you leave me a review, it makes me smile in like a super nerdy way and I love it. And so thank you for everyone who's done it. And uh, if you've been thinking about writing a review and you just haven't done it yet, you know, do it. I think that's it. I think that's it this week. I think we've done what we came here to do. Yeah. Have a great week. Okay, thanks. Bye.